this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Today, I'm talking to Katie G, a campaigner and survivor who's truly amazing. I first met her through my charity six years ago, and we have more in common than just being called Katie because she is also the survivor of an acid attack. She's still so young, and she talks with incredible openness about her experience and how she feels now and looking forward. Now, you are a survivor, a campaigner, and also a trainee in property currently. Yes. I'm going to let you take the floor and, and talk about how we met and why. Okay. The first time we met... I was in hospital, I think, at this point for maybe a few weeks. I actually can't remember. Overall, it was two months in total, so I don't know at what point you came. Yeah. I think you came to hospital twice. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember either. I think yeah. you came twice because the second time, I remember you saying the first time you didn't really speak, but now you're speaking more. Yeah. I, th- um, I think the first time I met you, you had all your dressings. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I was in Chelsea and Westminster Hospital too, obviously not the same time as you, years before you. So another thing we have in common and also what we have in common is we were in that very same hospital for the exact same reason. Yeah. You were a victim of an acid attack as well. Yes, exactly. But it didn't happen in the UK, right? No. So I was travelling. I was meant to start university in the September and so the summer before I wanted to go traveling somewhere new with a friend so myself and my friend Kirsty went over to Zanzibar which is an island just off of Tanzania in Africa. What made you choose uh, Zanzibar? We traveled with a company and that was one of the destinations that was on their website and we wanted to go somewhere we'd never been before. Had you traveled before then you were? Yeah but never to Africa yeah and so we chose Zanzibar we went for about a month we were teaching kids volunteering. Oh wow okay. And we were teaching them English and maths and then it was the last weekend on the island where Two guys on a moped just came from my right-hand side and then threw the acid and then drove off straight away. Wow. So <laughs> there it is in one sentence, but it's 
it's a life-changing thing that happened to you. Yes. And you were really young. You were 18, right? Yeah, exactly. I yeah. was 18. At a time when most people, I mean, what are they doing when they're 18? They're like... Fig- About to start uni, like going crazy, <laughs> yeah. having fun. Getting drunk. Yeah. Like making some life-changing decisions, but nothing like the situation. No, exactly. Just finished our A-levels, so having fun. Mm. Now, that trip, I mean, up until that point, had everything been fairly normal in that trip? Yeah, more or less. We we were just really enjoying it, learning, experiencing culture, travelling around Zanzibar to the mainland. And now you look back, like, you know, with hindsight, you kind of look at things differently. Do you think there was anything weird up until that point? Was there anything you second-guessed or, or like, you were like, this isn't right or I, I get a bad feeling about something or anybody? Uh, before we went, we were warned just to be careful in terms of there have been a few muggings on the island or mm. they might see us as white, which means they might assume that maybe we have some money or travelling around the island. So in terms of safety in that way, we were told to just be careful. But mm. we never really felt too much at danger. There were a few times where maybe we felt a bit uneasy, but if we were walking back late at night to the volunteer house... Mm-hmm anywhere you might feel a bit uneasy. So there was nothing that really stood out. There were like a few occasions maybe, but nothing that warranted any type of argument, attack, anything along those lines. And that's quite a normal, when you travel to certain parts of the world, different continents, like yeah. people tell you those kind of warnings anyway, don't Even they? in Europe, anywhere in you might. Yeah, in <laughs> yeah. London, yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. so nothing strange. So like obviously I know myself, like this kind of attack is like so quick. Yeah. There's no kind of predicting it or, you know. Did you know what had happened to you? I did. And I don't know how I knew, but within seconds, I was like, I thought to myself, okay, this is definitely acid. Like, not that I'd ever knew what it would have felt like, but you just know your instincts kick in. And like, I looked at Kirsty straight away and I saw that she like kind of looked okay. So the first thing I did was wipe my eyes with my jumper. Mm and tried to read the number plate and then ran straight to the bathroom. But I just knew straight away. Did um, you know straight away? Yeah, You just did, know, because yeah, you're not yeah. stupid, you just know. Yeah, yeah. and what an amazing uh, survival instinct you looked at the number plate. Like, despite being, like, blinded, you still had that thought in your head to look at the number plate. I know, it's a bit crazy. Yeah, did um, you remember it? I remembered, like, one letter. I think it had an R and an X in it. Mm. Um, but they drove away so fast. And I dropped my phone and my purse and I remember like picking up thinking I'm going to need this. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you just go into complete survival mode when something like that happens. And was Kirsty, um, was it so severe that Kirsty couldn't help you or was she able to help you because it wasn't as... We had completely different reactions. I very much had like a rational like this has happened mm-hmm. this hurts I need to get water get my phone in case I need to call someone because Kirsty didn't have a phone yeah um Kirsty I remember was sitting on the floor and like screaming and we were both screaming obviously but we just had completely different reactions yeah where were you on the roadside yeah so we were on the outskirts of Stone Town, and the road was on our right hand side it was a very thin road I don't know if a car could fit down it but it was definitely a road. Was it daylight or dark? Um, sunset. So it was the last day of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the streets are quite quiet. Everyone was inside praying. So the sun was about to go down. And had the people on the bike, did they cover their appearance or could you see? No, we saw them. Do you still remember their faces now? I like to think I remember the guy on the back's face. But who knows? I probably like pictured him so many times in my head that I've changed what he looks like. Yeah. 
I would like to think I would remember, but mm. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, okay. So how did you, from that moment of the attack and being down that narrow road, how did you sit, get to some kind of aid or help? So there was a restaurant about two minutes down the road that we had eaten at a few times and I knew where we were, obviously. We had been there for a month, so I ran straight to the bathroom of that restaurant and because we were next to the sea, it was kind of like one of those bathroom showers where mm-hmm. there's showers in a bathroom. Um, so I remember I just ran in, turned on every single tap Such in good panic. Thinking. Yeah. And then I like got completely undressed. Mm-hmm. And then I just started screaming for help. Yeah. And then I was like washing myself with tap water and it was coming out really slowly. So I would walk to the showers, shower, get all the water and then walk over to the tap and yeah, and then screaming in between. And what about the pain level at this point? It was excruciating. I remember for the first like five seconds. It didn't really feel like a burning pain. Mm. And then it comes in a rush. That's what I had anyway. It just started building up more and more. So for the first few seconds, it felt like hot coffee or something. And then mm. it just gets more intense. And that's when you know, OK, this isn't. And like visually, like for the public, when you see that, it, it sounds weird. You just look like a crazy person screaming because it doesn't look like when someone's on fire. Yeah, exactly. It's really an underwhelming look at yeah, first. Yeah, So, like, you're naked in a Muslim country screaming. Yeah. Like, people might just think you're drunk or, you yeah, know, exactly. how did they react? Like, um, so, because I was in the bathroom, I remember screaming for help and then two tourists, one called Sam, one called Nadine, thought at first that I was, like, messing around or it was, like, kids having fun or whatever. Yeah. And then um, as the screaming like continued and Sam heard me say someone needs to help me, then he came and he saw me and he thought I was raped because at first you don't really see anything. Yeah, your skin mm-hmm. is a bit discoloured, but he thought that this girl's been raped in this bathroom. Um, and then he had lots of bottled water on him and he was helping me and then screamed at other people to go get more water and mm-hmm. from there. Did you think it was acid straight away? <laughs> For the very first instant, I thought the person had thrown a cup of petrol and flicked a match and because I, okay. I could feel so much heat, so I yes. thought I was on fire. And then after my eyesight started to go, I knew yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. So it's all like in like, little, like it feels like ages, but it's little seconds, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I but, feel like you are in slow motion a bit. You mm-hmm. just remember each sequence of what happens. Yeah. So from that shower, did you get taken to a local hospital? We did. We got in a cab about five minute journey away and went to a local hospital with Sam Nadine two tourists who helped me and like just getting in a cab like that though not even in an ambulance like you must have been in agony I remember I was sitting in the back um next to the window Kirsty was in the middle and Sam and Nadine were in the front and Nadine was in the back and I remember Kirsty being like oh no what's happened and I I couldn't even speak at this point. I remember my head was leaning against like the front seat and I just remember thinking like, I actually can't even respond right now. You're just in so much pain and I didn't think it was ever going to go. And You've had no morphine? Yeah, nothing nothing, and like not even enough water probably and I didn't know what was happening. Kirsty didn't have a phone and it was just horrible. So what treatment did you receive when you got to that hospital? Did you get put in intensive care or...? At that point we were just covering ourselves with saline. Mm -hmm. Um, and more water and Sam at this point had taken my phone and called our parents and our friends who we had on the island. What a call for a mum to get. I know and I'd spoken to my mum about 10 minutes before the attack asking her for more money for dinner because I (laughs) ran out of money (laughs) as a traveller. Yeah. 
And so I remember Sam said that when he called my mum and my mum was answered the phone and she said, Katie, I just gave you more money. And he was like, no, my name's Sam. And then explained what happened. And What did he say? Your daughter's... Yeah, he was like, don't worry, but something's happened like they're okay they're alive like I'm with them now and then he passed the phone over but he was like this is what's happened and mm. we're gonna have to be logistical and sort our insurance so they can get back to London mm-hmm. and how how many days were you in the Zanzibar hospital I would say from the attack to the point we got to Chelsea and Westminster hospital was about 24 26 hours how did you fly home with the injuries like did you have any other treatment other than like water there or what did they do just cover you in dressings and fly you home so from the first hospital there they ran out of saline so from there we went to a local hotel and stood under the shower for about five to six hours and then Sam who was a saint arranged us to get on an airplane and fly over to the mainland of Tanzania from there we stayed in a hospital for I don't know 12 hours whatever it was Mm. And there I received painkillers, just pills and things. So you were conscious the whole time? Yeah, the whole time. Then we got an ambulance to get on the medical aeroplane home. And that was the first time I was given proper drugs and knocked out, essentially. And in this interim, what about your eyesight? My eyes were fine. Um, I was just lucky I blinked at just the completely right time. I've had Mm. skin grafts on my eyelids, but... I was just lucky in the sense that I blinked at the right time. Mm -hmm. So my eyesight wasn't affected, thank God. Yeah, but I guess at that time you had no idea what the injuries were. Had you looked in the mirror in Zanzibar? Yeah, I looked in the mirror. I saw saw myself most of the way through. So there was a mirror in the first bathroom and then I hadn't looked at myself up until um, we got off the aeroplane at one stop and that's when I saw myself properly. What was that like? so swollen and mm. Kirsty, I remember I turned to her and she just said like stop looking and I was like in a wheelchair at this point so it was really like, hard for me to get up because my whole leg had been burnt yeah it was so swollen like completely mm-hmm. two times the size of my normal face and when you were leaving Zanzibar obviously it was all about you need to get back you need to get medical treatment was there any discussion about where is this guy who is he are you going to go find him I think there was but I wasn't in the discussions it was more so with like Sam and, I don't know, governors and whoever works in Tanzania. So the police didn't come to visit you in Zanzibar then? No, they didn't. I think one policeman came to the second hospital and then from there we wrote, what's it called? Oh, like a witness statement. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Okay. So then you leave on the plane and then you land in what, Heathrow? No, Northolt. And then there were two ambulances on the runway where we just got into straight away. Wow. And then straight to Chelsea Westminster. Okay. Well, how are you feeling? Um, at this point, I, I had spoken to my mum quite a lot and I remember saying to her, just make sure it's a really good hospital because it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And my mum was just like, don't even worry about it. We'll sort out the treatment. Just we'll get you back home. Did your mum know how severe it was at that point or do you think your mum didn't know the full picture or...? I don't think she really understood the full picture. I had sent her one picture because our insurance company wouldn't get us a medical aeroplane until they knew the extent of the damage. So Mm -hmm. I had to send a picture of my neck to say I couldn't go on a commercial flight. Well, imagine the infection and stuff. I know, exactly. I I couldn't, there was no way I could sit on a commercial flight, swap Mm. over, stay in Dubai for an hour. There was just no way it could happen. Also, I was like unconscious the whole aeroplane. There was just no way I could be conscious for that amount of time. 
How did you feel on the admission to Chelsea? I was so relieved. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I thought, okay, now this could be sorted. I'm in the hands of professionals. Surely they'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it was a long stay. It was two months, wasn't it? Yeah, around, exactly. Which, you know, like some people might think, oh, some people stay in hospital longer, but... Two months bedridden, mm. like your whole normal life outside is is all your friends' lives are just carrying on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're young and you're used to being independent. Exactly. And it's not two months. I'm sure it's different for everyone, but it's not two months where you're just sitting at your bedside doing nothing. For me, I was having skin grafts and having skin removed and you're in surgery every other day and... Mm-hmm. It's just the pain and it was thirty percent of your body. Wasn't yeah, it? exactly. So it's a large. Yeah, burn. I don't know. It's exhausting and horrible. Can you tell for people that haven't, you know, read your story before? Can you explain what areas of your face and body were affected? So the guy was on my right hand side. So if you just think right hand side, right hand side of face, right arm, right chest area, right side of my stomach, right leg, mm-hmm. thigh. And then what was the treatment you had to have at Chelsea? I've had the skin removed and then I had donor skin put on my body. Mm-hmm. And then I had skin grafts and then I had my ear removed. And then I had, um, that was more or less. <laughs> it's like such a list. You're like, I can't even remember. I actually can't remember. Yeah. And in this period, did you look in the mirror, take pictures or did you not want to? I was obsessed with taking pictures. I had my phone and I would always go on selfie mode, take pictures every day. And then in Chelsea and Westminster, there are no mirrors anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I would look whenever I had a shower or whenever there was a reflection, I would always look at night in the window. Um, I would always look. I was obsessed with looking. Do you think that was to do with control or...? Probably. Mm -hmm. I'm quite... Maybe. I think it was to do with control and also I wanted to be aware of everything that was happening. I didn't want any secrets. I wanted to know the full extent of how bad the damage was. Why was that? I don't know. I felt that, like, if I knew everything that was wrong with me, then I could help fix it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And I didn't want to leave hospital and then be even more distraught when the damage was so much worse. I needed to prepare myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just how I am. I'm a bit of a fixer. I don't know how... Well, how are you like? Yeah, I mean, I agree of like trying... Because I think basically it's a situation that's so out of your control mm. and the whole act of it happening to you is is a, is a sense of madness and out of control. So in the aftermath, you want to gain as much control as you can. But mm. the reality is in a medical journey... You're not in control. No, not at all. And you keep getting all this news from med. This is happening now. Or you've lost this, or this has mm. gone wrong, or you can't have that. Mm. It's not possible. It'll never be the same again. Mm. So it's almost like a fake control for yourself to try and balance it out. Yeah, you completely know? fake. Obviously, like a trauma like this can leave you on edge and with PTSD. Mm. Was that something that affected you? Did you have nightmares and flashbacks and things? Yeah, I definitely suffered PTSD, 100%. Mm. I had nightmares and um, like anxiety. And I remember one surgery where I was in recovery for such a long time and all I wanted to do was like rip out everything from my arm and just want to get up and walk out. I get that, yeah. Yeah. I think from then, like, something just clicked in my brain. So whenever I was in a situation where I felt like I couldn't leave or I felt like I was trapped or, mm. I don't know, I was, couldn't, yeah, I just couldn't leave a situation, I, that made me panic and then I would get anxiety from that. Yeah, and did how did you, like, to present day now, I mean, obviously it was six years ago, how mm. did you manage the anxiety? What did you do? 
therapy and um, cognitive therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, CPD, is that what it's called? CPD, yeah, CPD. yeah, same therapy. I had CPD, yeah. Um, I was on pills for a little bit, but I stopped those. Mm-hmm. And all this while that this was happening to you, how did the people around you deal with it? Because you've got family, you've got friends, you've got the medical professionals. You know, your friends were really young at that time, you know. Yeah, exactly. My friends had all started uni in that September, most of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Family were all great. Mm-hmm. In terms of family, friends and people around me who were older, didn't get it at all. They would just come over, see my mum for a cup of tea and then say oh, like, why don't you go out and, like, stop looking at the same four walls? And Did you not find that really frustrating? So frustrating because I was... Obviously, you want to go out and you want to not be in the situation. It's no one's fault that you're... Well, mm. it wasn't my fault that I was in the situation. And I felt that when people said that, I was being blamed for what happened because I couldn't help myself, even mm-hmm. though I was trying. Were you scared to go out or was it the medical reasons you couldn't go out? Both. I didn't mm. want to go out. I, I was scared and I didn't want to, so why would I? Yeah. Um, Did you have an anxiety about being attacked again in London? Yeah, that was like a recurring nightmare was that I was going to be attacked again. I feel like I still have it sometimes or I'll imagine being attacked again, Mm. things like that. How do you cope now? Like, you know, we're so connected with all the news apps Mm -hmm. and even if you don't have news apps on your phone, people like helpfully share links on Facebook and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, you know, there was a while when the media were like, oh, acid attacks are on the rise, violent crimes on the rise in London. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel when you when things like that get pushed your way and you hear those stories? I think it's terrifying. I think that the news creates copycats. And I think that that scared me in the sense that I didn't want some sick people to get inspired by what they hear and mm-hmm. get inspiration from it. So that really freaked me out in a sense. Um in some ways, it's good in terms of raising awareness, but is it good to raise awareness of acid attacks? I'm not sure. I'm still not convinced. So this, I mean, now you're 23. Right? Yes. So, I mean, from 18, how many years was your life on hold? Because recovery, all you do is recover. Mm. You don't, you can't work. You can't do normal stuff for a while, can you? No, not at all. Um, I don't think life ever gets normal. It just gets more normal. I mm-hmm. feel like it's not even normal now. Mm. I feel like even when I, when when it is normal and I'm living normal day to day life and I'm at work and I'm having lunch with people from work and just doing things like that, I feel like it's still not normal yeah. because I've been attacked. Yeah, of course. And yeah. I can still feel where the scars are on my body. So obviously they're numb, but I can I know where they are. So mm-hmm. even if I'm like having a lovely day and having a good conversation, I can still think to myself for a split second, "Oh, you've got scars on that face." Mm. How do you feel about your like the scars, but like just your whole body and appearance in general? I think it depends what day it is. I think that I try and be positive because like whether I'm positive or negative, I still have scars on my body, so I might as well try and be positive about them. Mm -hmm. But I think in reality, it's hard to always think that way as much as I want to. Mm. Do you think there's any element in like our culture or media that makes it worse for you? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's just so much pressure to look a certain way and I'll never be ashamed of having scars. I'll never, if someone wants to ask me a question or looks at me, I'll never feel shame or guilt, but it's always a sense of that I wouldn't feel like pretty or good enough. Mm. And have you had intrusive, rude questions or just un, uninvited comments? Um, 
I haven't had that many rude comments to my face. Mm. I've had lots of stares and I've had intrusive comments asking, like, what happened to you? And What do you say when people... When people it depends say. what mood I'm in. If I'm in a good mood, maybe I'll explain. But if I'm not in the mood to talk or explain, I'll be like, oh, it's a long story. Mm. What do you think is the most annoying question? Um, God, I mean... Basic stuff like what's happened to you, mm. it like it's like a very long, it's a very painful question. You know, it's a mm. long winded question. The worst scenario is when I'm with my child and people yeah. say that to me because, you know, I don't really want to say in front of a four year old, will somebody rape me and acid attack me? Oh no. And they live in this country. Yeah. But people's um, own curiosity outweighs their moral stance of like, is this okay in front of a toddler? Yeah. And it, it, like for me, I think that comes from a gossipy. It's not, it's not a concerned question, it's a gossipy... Yeah. To me, it's that when you are known by lots of people, I think that they feel that they're entitled to know everything about you and don't mm. really care who's around you. Were the people, like, was it hard for you to do the rounds with friends and have to explain, or did someone on your behalf kind of explain to everyone? I actually have no idea. I, I have no idea where it started, but... My friends knew as soon as I landed in the UK. Okay. So whether that was one friend told one friend. Also, it was on the news. Yeah. I remember... It was big, It was a big story in the news I at the remember time. my... I had a few friends who found out from the news. Mm. And I think just people talk. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And do you have, like, closure? Or, because you didn't get any justice, is that right? No, he was never found. And was there attempts, like a tr- was there like a manhunt to find him? Like there was an identity parade, but I didn't go. Kirsty went to the identity parade. It was in Zanzibar. How comes you didn't go? Because I was having surgery and I didn't feel safe, and there wasn't going to be good security, and there was no glass screen in front of us and the attackers. Mm-hmm. She chose someone um, who she thought was the right person, but. In her defence, I don't know if the right person was even there in the line. Mm. So what happened to the person she chose? Nothing. Because it just wasn't enough it evidence? Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the right person and it wasn't the person they had in mind either. So then did you just get communication that we have no evidence and we're closing the case? Not It's an open case, but it's a dead case, essentially. So a Scotland Yard came over many times and said... We'll still try and do everything we can if something else comes up, but at the moment, there's not much else we can do. And how did you feel about that outcome? I kind of knew it was going to happen because we were going back and forth for a good year and a half to two years, and 
when it gets to the year point, you just think, okay, they would probably have found the guy by now. It's a tiny town. Mm. So someone knows probably. I think that everyone on the island probably knows who it was. But they protect them. Yeah, exactly. And do you have your own theory about why it happened? I think it's because we were white girls, young, vulnerable. And if it wasn't us, it was going to be two other girls. Mm Mm-hmm. There weren't that many white people on the island Mm -hmm. and people talk and maybe they saw us having fun a few nights or, I don't know, saw who we were. And in that sense, maybe they recognised us. We'd never had a conversation with them, but maybe they knew who we were. Okay. So how did you make your closure? Because you didn't get a legal trial, you didn't get answers. Like, How did you make it okay in your head? I don't know. Um, Because it was in another country, I think think that closure in terms of distancing myself away from the attacker was easier Mm. um, than if my attacker lived in London like I think that would be a different story Um, but because they were on the other side of the world and please god stay there Mm. that I think in terms of the attack made it easier for me to make recovery one dimension attack another dimension Mm -hmm. so I don't want to use the word normal because you know, to say your life's gone back to normal, you're rebuilding your life to the best you can. Yeah. When So when did you sort of, like, go back to regular stuff? You were having all your treatment. Mm-hmm. And so 18, 19... Yeah. Um, I enrolled in university the year after, worked from home for the first few years, um, and finished my degree and applied for jobs as that was finishing. Mm. So what- last year. Okay, so that, I mean, that's like, this is pretty amazing, right? You went to yeah. uni, you lived away from home? Yeah. Yeah, so you're in Nottingham Uni. Exactly. I was lucky, I had friends who were there, and so I had a house to live in with yeah. a bunch of girls I knew, essentially. Okay. But in terms of new people, obviously, when you're out and meeting new people and everything. Yeah, that's hard. People talk, yeah. Yeah. But do you think it was good for you to, like, go off and do your thing? I think it was good for me, yes, but I also think that there were many times where I didn't want to be there and I don't know if it actually helped. Mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. that's the right advice. Yeah, no, no, no. It's Well, it's just the truth, isn't it? Yeah, it's just exactly. what happened. Exactly. So you left uni and you now work in property, is that right? Exactly, I work yeah. in commercial property. So what do you want, what's your kind of plan? What would you like to do? Um, I just want to work hard. I'm doing a master's at the same time. So you haven't let this stop you and take you off the direction you wanted to go in? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't let. I'm too much of a control freak. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) But maybe it's that resilience that got you through the initial aftermath of the attack. Maybe. Or that it's just made it heightened. Like the way you're living your life now, the person you are, do you think it's pretty similar with that thing in between? Or do you think you're a different person because of what happened? I think I'm different. I don't know what I would have been like otherwise, but I definitely think I'm like very observant, quite paranoid in terms of like who's around me, where I am, am I safe here? When I'm on the tube looking around, I I hate listening to music on the tube and people think I'm mad, but Mm -hmm. I just like to be aware of everything I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I am definitely more resilient I think and you said you do feel like a different person so do you separate the two worlds of like you pre and you post like do you feel like it's been two different people and two different lives yeah Yeah. I really do do you yeah yeah I I compare it's like a bereavement I feel like the person before is no longer here yeah I agree which is like some negative some positive you know it's just sort of sad do you live with sadness do you think I don't mm. Yeah, I, de- I have moments of sadness, definitely. I don't think I'm 
sad or a sad person, but there are definitely moments where it's a really sad situation. Mm-hmm. Sad because you didn't deserve it, sad because... Because no one deserves it, and there are so many moments of sadness over the recovery period that's just so unbearable, so it's just sad that it happened, mm. and I think it's sad if I'm, like, looking in a mirror and I feel really ugly, like, that's sad, and, like, it's just small moments like that. Even if I put some makeup on, feel a bit better and still go out, it's still sadness, mm. I think. But there have been some amazing moments in terms of... So if anyone followed you on Instagram, what's your Instagram handle? KTJG. So they will see you are very um, proud and you are very truthful. You post pictures of yourself in a bikini showing your burns. Mm-hmm. You like Photoshop yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you are honest and mm-hmm. and I would say really confident online yeah yeah which is really positive I mean yeah. tell us about the hashtag yeah. campaign so I um only started like talking really about what happened besides family and friends maybe last summer mm-hmm. um so less than a year ago and then um from then I wrote an article and one of the titles was just not very nice. It was describing me as like horribly disfigured and some other things. And so from then I posted it on Instagram and then started a campaign called Setting the Standard. Essentially for people to post a picture of anything that they thought wasn't good enough, didn't fit into society or the media's ideal of normal, pretty, perfection, anything, and take a picture of something that they felt wasn't good enough and then tag all their friends to do the same. So there were people posting pictures, anything from no makeup to scars, cellulite, spots, anything. That's brilliant. That's really, really good. And like in a world of Instagram where we see so many things that are toxic and Mm -hmm. not positive, Mm -hmm. like that's such a great thing to see on your feed. Yeah. You must have felt a sense of achievement. Like, Yeah, I was really proud that I did it because also... I didn't start like a new page. All my followers, like were all my friends and family, they saw what I was doing. So I was like, I just had to own it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Do you think that was good for you? Yeah, definitely. I'm so happy that I did it. I mean, amazing things have happened because you have, um, you know, been strong enough to talk about it. You've done mm-hmm. your campaign. You know, I've seen, I think you've written for Grazia, haven't you? Have I seen yeah. It? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. You're like 23 and you've written in Grazia. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. I've done some good articles. Yeah. And you, you can write really well. Like mm-hmm. you're a really intelligent young woman. Like you have done some things that did you think you wouldn't be doing these things at this stage in your life? Yeah. I've definitely, there are definitely things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. I like wouldn't have written any articles and the charities that I work with, I wouldn't have worked with any of them. So yeah. there are definitely aspects. Yeah, they're big. They're more than just aspects. Yeah, they're, they're massive things. Like, yeah, you're amazing. Like to think where you're at now, it's still so soon, and you've come so far from when I first met you. And you know, I you know when we got back in touch about you doing the podcast, I was like, I wonder where how you where you're at and how you're feeling. And it's like. It is really, really inspiring. Mm. Like for people listening who, you know, some people listening might be directly affected by burns. Some people might not at all, but Mm. might have similar emotional concerns and issues. Like, do you have any advice about, you know, what coping mechanisms you've used and how you've got to where you are and how they Mm. could do the same? Um, For me, the things that help me the most are writing things down, but like, privately mm-hmm. not showing anyone so like, like a private diary diary entries scrapbooks but private no one's like ever ever seen anything mm. um i 
I'm such a hoarder. I saved every single card I ever had. Mm. I've got all my face masks. I've got you really. Every- yeah, I kept everything. I kept all my like loads of my pressure suits. What I- was the reason? I don't know. And I've been called weird for have like saving everything before, but I, I don't know. I have a box and I've just kept everything because I'm not I'm not ready to like mm-hmm. depart from it yet. Um, so writing things down and saving everything helped me personally just to see the progress Mm. what else helped me therapy Mm. um surrounding yourself with good people and cutting out people who make you feel not good did you do that then did you did you have a bit of a cull and get rid of uh not like a cut off but definitely slowly distance see someone less if they're not making you feel good Mm -hmm. um be a bit selfish with your time don't do things that you don't really want to do mm-hmm. unless you have to do them. And how do you feel about you present day? You know, are you in a good place? Do you feel stable? Mm. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty stable. Mm. I don't really know. I just like take each day as it comes. Yeah, which is r- another good piece of advice, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you don't do that, then you're you're in a state of anxiety about the future. And yeah, exactly. I think just be like really aware of actually how you do feel so if you're feeling sad but you're trying to cover it with happiness I think that just I don't know be a bit selfish and just don't go out that weekend if you're feeling low yeah there's nothing wrong with being selfish because everyone benefits around you if you're in a better place exactly and you don't want to be worse off otherwise Mm. what do you think helped you the most um I find it really interesting yeah I mean personally I think it's time and like when you meet yeah. anyone who's at the beginning everyone's like I just want to get better when's it over I this isn't awful and it's fast like, forward life yeah and burn injuries really slow recovery physically but also mentally like you yeah. really have to accept looking permanently different yeah and no one can change that for yeah. you and you just have to get through that and you know, that that time, that patience. Like I was not a patient person mm. and I had to learn patience. But I agree with you that your life will never be the same again. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean that in a factual way. Like, how can you have a life-changing trauma? Exactly. And say you'll go back the same? You just won't. And I think to say otherwise would be giving people false hope. Yeah, and, like, it's not always been a negative thing. Like, I used to see it as a negative thing, but I don't now. Like, I am me, and there's some things that are more difficult than others, but there's some things that aren't, and I have loads of things that make me really happy. I live with a permanent piece of sadness in me too. Yeah. I really do, but I I think, like, how would I not, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't expect not to. Exactly, I think that's, like... A really healthy way of looking at it, I think. I think mm. covering up is long-term damage. Yeah, like my ultimate feeling is what I've learned to realise at a young age that a lot of people don't young is life is so precious mm. and health is so precious and anything can change mm. in a few seconds. Ultimately, it's given me this sense of a respect for health, a respect for life. It's minimised like how much I care about my appearance because mm-hmm. I know it's a fragile thing that won't last anyway and mm-hmm. it's not so important. Mm-hmm. So it's made my life better because I go out there and I, I don't second-guess anything. I'm not, yeah. I'm not scared of doing things. I'm not worried about rejection because I've had the worst anyway. Yeah. You know? I think in some aspects similar, I'm more unapologetic about a lot of things. Mm. Probably like... If I have an opinion or like there's something in life I want to do, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, 
But in other ways, if I'm having like a self-conscious day, I'll, I'll be completely the opposite. But I think that's okay. And yeah. I, I think people that don't have any visible difference others have that too, you know, yeah. like there's pressure on everybody, yeah. you know. So what about you for the future? I mean, obviously you're very hardworking. You came straight from work to this podcast. I did, oh God. <laughs> What's your kind of fu- future dreams and hopes and ambitions? I just want to enjoy my life. Mm. That's what I want to do. That's all I care about. And obviously you saying that, that means you believe you can enjoy life after burns, after trauma. Yeah, well, I think that whether I like it or not, it's happened. So I might as well enjoy life with being burnt than not enjoy life with being burnt. Mm. That's just how I think. So I just want to enjoy my life and work hard and do whatever just be happy that's all I actually care about just want to laugh and like be happy <laughs> and you've done lots of things that required confidence like going to work in a new company going to live away mm-hmm. at uni so you obviously are a confident person in a time that's your confidence took a major hit yeah that anyone that's listening who's struggling to get the confidence to do new things venture out what what advice would you give them um I think I don't know if this is good advice I think if you want to feel confident, a good thing to do is just fake it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then that might lead to other good things. You might meet someone, you'll be like, okay, this made me feel more confident. Yeah. Meeting someone at a party when like, you didn't want to go because you didn't feel confident. So mm-hmm. I think fake it and it will lead to other good things. And then the more you fake it, the more you'll be confident and believe it. Yeah, I think you're right. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, I mean, even though we've met many times before, we've never talked like this, you know. Mm. So it's been really interesting to hear um, about your story and like your present day now. And I really appreciate you sharing it because I know like some of it might not be easy to talk about as mm. well. So yeah, thank you very much for sharing those Thanks parts. for having me. Yeah, you have been an extraordinary person. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.